If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. We're in Matthew chapter 22 as we continue in our sermon series that we've entitled Parables, How Jesus Told Stories to Shape Our Minds. And as you turn to Matthew 22, let me just say, I've never had the opportunity to preach in Australia before. Um, If you are watching online or listening to our podcast, you should know that we have Vacation Bible School this week and have a land down under theme. I was worried it was going to be a hell theme for land down under, but... But it's Australia, so feel free to send your kids. Uh, We're excited about Vacation Bible School this week. We've been learning about parables in our Sunday morning sermon series, and we've learned that these parables are stories that Jesus uses to teach us something about God and something about the world around us and to teach us about the view Jesus has of us and of the kingdom of God. And so we've heard Jesus answer questions questions like, how can I know God? How can I find God even when he seems hidden? How can I move closer to God? You can go back and hear those sermons on our website or our podcast, wherever you get those. Redeemer Shoals would be your keyword there. And today, Jesus teaches us something about God, and then he teaches us something about ourselves, and then Jesus teaches something really confusing in this parable. So we'll get to that. But let me read the parable for us in Matthew 22. I'll pray for us and we'll dig in. Hear now God's word. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent his servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. The king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment, and he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to his attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray together as we come to God's word. Let's pray. Father, we are here before your word, before your book. We have it opened before us, listening to this story that Jesus told I pray that you would use it just as you did originally from his lips to teach us something about you, to teach us something about ourselves, that you would use this time to do the work that only you can do in our hearts. I pray that you would be willing to come and that you would work in us what is pleasing to you. And I ask that you'd be willing to use even the sin-stained lips of a foolish preacher to accomplish your purposes. 
For it is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, Jesus teaches us something about God. He teaches us something about ourselves, and then we're not sure what Jesus is teaching. We'll get there in point three. First, Jesus teaches us something about God. And you see it there in verse two, where he says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Jesus is teaching here that God is a king. Now, as soon as we say that in 21st century America, let's just be honest. Some of us say, whoa, hold on now. A king? That's a bad thing. Anybody with that kind of power to restrict my autonomy is bad. And as 21st century Americans, we're often offended by the idea of a king. But you need to recognize that as Americans, we're offended in a way that the original audience was not offended, right? You understand that these folks grew up and they had lived their lives if they were old enough through the reign of good kings and bad kings. And if they hear a story that just says, hey, there's a king, they don't quite have the reaction that we do, okay? So let's just own that as 21st century Americans that our culture has influenced the way we are hearing this. In fact, most folks around the world don't have the response that Americans have, right? Even Westerners are somewhat Western, somewhat used to kings. I mean, we just celebrated Independence Day, right? We're Americans. We don't serve a king. It's what makes us Americans. All right. We hear there's a king, and we often react. Because we don't like the idea of that authority over us. Now, other cultures would hear this, and they would hear a king, there's a king, and the first thing they would wonder would be, is this a good king or a bad king? Is he using his authority in a good way, or is he using his authority in a bad way? But many of us as Americans are offended before we even ask that kind of a question. And I want us to think about that so that we own it more, okay? Let's just think about that for a second. My, my first thought is this. If you are telling a story that has God in it, what else are you going to make him besides the king, right? What, are you going to make him a prince? What, is he one of the servants or something? I mean, if Jesus is telling a story with God in it, he, he would either be God or he would be the king. That's the closest thing, right? So let's not react so much to that. But second, if you're really troubled by the idea of king because of his authority, before you even hear whether he's a good king or a bad king, before you even hear how he uses authority, could it be that the reason you react that way is because you've been hurt by someone in authority. Could it be that someone you're close to or someone you love has been hurt by someone who abused their authority? Is that where your suspicion comes from? You know, we need to own that many of us have a skewed view of God because we are responding to our experiences. We have a skewed view of God because we are responding to our wounds. 
instead of responding to the issue itself. God is a king. Is he a good king or is he a bad king? It may help you to know if you have this struggle that Jesus himself was familiar with bad kings, with those who abused their authority. If you read earlier in Matthew, Matthew chapter 2, we're told about the king who was in power at the time Jesus was born, wanted to kill him because someone called him the king of the Jews. And so that king was trying to kill him, trying to kill his family, and ends up killing all the boys in Bethlehem, age 2 and under, slaughtered them. And Jesus escapes to Egypt and lives the first two years of his life there because of a bad king who abused his authority. If you keep reading the Gospel of Matthew, just a few chapters before this, in Matthew chapter 14, John the Baptist, who had identified Jesus as the Messiah, who Jesus had identified as the greatest prophet ever, John the Baptist has been put in prison and it's the king's birthday. And he has a woman come out and dance for him. And he's so enthralled by her dancing that he says on an oath that he'll give her whatever she asks for. You know what she asked for? John the Baptist's head on a platter. Wow. There are a lot of reasons why she would make that request. You can read in Matthew 14 about it. But the king was sorry that he had offered to do that, but because of the oath that he had taken in front of all these people, he has John beheaded and his head brought in on a platter. Jesus knew about corrupt authority, about bad kings. The people in, in authority in the temple courts right here that he's saying this parable to have it come in, interrupted his teaching. They're scheming for a way to have him arrested and killed. And ultimately, they will take him to Pilate, the Roman governor, who says, I find nothing wrong with him, so I'll just beat him, even though I find nothing wrong with him, hoping that will appease the Jewish authorities who want to have him killed. And when that doesn't appease them, Pilate says, I find nothing wrong with him, but fine, you can kill him if you want to. Jesus was familiar with bad kings and corrupt authority. Yet, Jesus still has a category for authority that is good. Do you have that kind of a category? for authority that is good. I would ask you, please consider where in your life you have had a bad experience with authority and think about, reflect on this week, how does that experience affect your view of God? There are good kings and there are bad kings. And I'm so sorry if you've experienced the abuse of authority from a bad king or a bad authority. But that does not mean all kings were bad. I wonder, what if we didn't have to have that type of stereotype of God? That's what it is, right? A stereotype. God is a king and <laughs> you know how those people are. It's a stereotype. What if we didn't have to have a stereotype for God like that? 
What if we didn't have to have a bias that flowed out of our woundedness? What if we could follow Jesus and Jesus would heal us so that we could have a bad experience in our past and still have a category for authority that is good? Yes, there's bad abusive use of authority, but that doesn't mean all authority is bad. God is a king. The issue is, is he a good king or a bad king? And Jesus in this story overwhelmingly says, God is a great king. He says God is glad-hearted. Look at him. He's throwing a feast, a wedding feast for his son who's getting married. And Jesus is telling a story showing that this king is generous. That he's opening up the castle. That he's putting on a feast. That he's opening doors. That he's spreading out a table. That he is welcoming people into his home. And a wedding feast may be something that lasts for days. And you may say to yourself, well, that's the character in the story. Is Jesus really teaching that about God? It's a fair question. But if you listen to the teaching of Jesus consistently, he consistently speaks of God like this, right? Think about Luke 15, the good shepherd, the one who leaves the 99 to go find the one sheep. And what does he do when he finds him? He calls his friends and his neighbors and says, Rejoice with me because I found this lost sheep. And then Jesus says this, I tell you the truth, there is more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who don't need to repent. He's saying there's that kind of rejoicing. In fact, more rejoicing in heaven than what you think of when we think of these kinds of feasts. What about the father of the prodigal son? He's watching and waiting for his wayward son to return. And when he comes back home, he runs out. He kisses him. He clothes him. He kills the fatted calf for him. And he says, let's celebrate this son of mine that was dead. He's, he's alive. He's come back home. He's been found. And remember, the elder brother comes in from the field. And what does he hear when he's coming in from the field? Do you remember? Music and dancing. <laughs> we don't usually associate that with God. I grew up Baptist. We didn't associate music and especially not dancing with God. Here is God, the Father figure. Music and dancing. God is a God who is glad-hearted and generous. And these are the pictures that Jesus gives of him in multiple places. I've had the opportunity to do two weddings this summer. I've got another one coming up this September. I love doing weddings. We've been at weddings together before. I love them. And it's because uh, you dress up. I love to dress up. You have a ceremony. There's food. I love food. There's music. There's dancing. And it is a pale picture of what our eternity will be like. The book of Revelation pictures our eternity in heaven with God as the wedding feast of the Lamb. That's the way Revelation characterizes our time with the Father. Oh, he is a good-hearted, glad-hearted, generous king. 
And this king is patient and persistent in his inviting. I hope you've heard the songs today. Lee did a great job of picking out songs that invite us, that show the inviting heart of the Father, and that put in our mouths the right response, Jesus, I come. We've heard the call, come without money, Isaiah 55. This king is always inviting. He's patient. He sends out three invitations to this group. Do you see that? Look at verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. The tradition is he would make the announcement and invite people. Verse 3, and he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. There's already been one invitation, right? But you do understand that these folks don't have, like, cell phones, right? To remind them. So when it came time, he sends the servants out again to those who had been invited and says, okay, now's the time. Now it's ready, right? So come. And they just, they, they don't come. And so he sends a third time. He sends servants out, begging them to come, asking them to come. So three invitations to the same group, and then we'll see him send a fourth invitation to those who are bad and good. This is an inviting king, one who is persistent in his invitation to wayward people. Maybe that's why Jesus is so inviting. Think of Matthew chapter 11 where he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He says, Come. I think of John chapter 4, right? He says, Come to me, all you who are thirsty. John 7, he says it again, Come, all you who are thirsty, and I will give you living water, and it will flow out of your soul, this invitation. Or John chapter 8, if any of you are hungry, I am the bread of life. Come to me and eat. Don't work for food that spoils. Work for the food that gives you eternal life. Jesus is always inviting. He's always saying, ask, seek, knock. Jesus is so inviting. Perhaps because his view of God is one who is patiently and persistently inviting church members those of us who claim to be followers of jesus we should be patient and persistent in our inviting because we follow a god and are being made in the image of him and are being renewed in the image of christ who is always inviting are you persistent in inviting people to come to the good king. Jesus says God's a good king. He's glad-hearted. He's generous. He's, he's, he's patient and persistent in his inviting. Let me just ask you, where life, what parts of your life might you need to know that there is a God who has authority, but he's a good king who's generous and patient? Next question would be, who in your life may need to know that there is a good king who has authority, but he's generous and patient? One last thought about this. Listen, as I was thinking about it this week, I know the culture we live in is skeptical of authority. 
And it's because we've seen it abused. So many of us as Christians are afraid to talk about authority. We'll talk about Jesus, our elder brother. He's a good physician. He's a lamb. He, we'll talk a lot about those things, but we're afraid to talk about authority. Listen to me. Listen to me. Just, let's just think about that. Those who are skeptical of authority, right? Those who are critical of anyone having that kind of an authority, think about it with me. What is the assumption behind their critique? The assumption behind their critique is that authority should be used for good, right? That those who are in authority should use it on behalf of those who don't have power and authority. That's the assumption behind it. And we know a king who doesn't abuse his authority, who is good and generous and glad-hearted? Let's not be afraid to talk about these things because Jesus teaches us God is a good king. Maybe you're a person who rejects the idea just because God has authority. Before you even ask if he's a good king, or a bad king, you reject the idea. Just know that Jesus would invite you to change your mind. He's not inviting you to mindlessly follow any and all authorities. That is not what he's asking you to do. But he is saying that we need to have a category, like most of the rest of the people on the planet today do, that there are good kings and bad kings. There's good authority and bad authority and god is a good king so there's no need to fear his authority well, those are some of the things jesus teaches us about god what does he teach us about ourselves here turn in a corner to that second point what does he teach us about ourselves specifically he teaches us something about how we respond to a good king you see it there in verses four through six Again, he sent servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready, come to the wedding. But they paid no attention. And they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. Wow. it's an interesting response. Some of us respond with apathy. You see that, right? They don't really care. They don't really pay any attention to the invitation. They're just uninterested, right? There's some folks, some of us, our response to an invitation of the king is, you know, it's no offense, I just like other things better. There are other things that I would prefer to do. I'm going to go to my farm. I'm going to go to my business. I have hobbies. I have other things that are just a bigger priority to me. We're just sort of apathetic. We don't have a, a taste for the king. Some are apathetic. But some respond with anger and abuse towards those who serve the king. Let's keep in mind that persecution is a reality for many Christians around the world, and some say we need to prepare for that reality even in this place. But just know that people who are apathetic usually think Jesus is one way among others and they're just choosing another way to live. But know that some see a king with authority and are angry 
and they see Christianity as something not just one way among many, but something that is dangerous and harmful and must be stopped. What's the response of your heart when you hear there's a good king? Maybe you're apathetic. Maybe you're angry. What about those around you? Why do they reject the authority of God? Why do they reject the king? That might be something good for us to know. It's a conversation starter for this week. It's one of the great things about these parables is they invite us into having conversation with one another about what it is that Jesus says. Maybe there are other possibilities. You know, anger, apathy, abuse, those aren't the only options. Jesus is just telling a story. There may be others but invites us to reflect on these things. Now, here's where the story gets a little weird to me. When I ask what in the world is Jesus teaching? Because if you think about it so far, this is just a picture of the gospel, right? There's a king, that's God. There's his son who's having a wedding feast. He's being, you know, uh, the church, the bride of Christ. They're being joined together. These folks are being invited. People don't like the king's son. and They're rejecting him. Some people are accepting and they're coming. It's just like the gospel going forth and people either respond or don't respond, right? It seems like it's pretty much going along. This is just a picture of the gospel going forth in the world. No big deal, right? (laughs) And then Jesus tells us, that this good, glad-hearted, generous, patient, and inviting king goes after the people who are angry and abusive. And he has them destroyed and their cities burned. And some of you will say, so much for a good king, right? But think about this with me. How do you think a good and just king should respond? If his son is dishonored, if his followers are abused and murdered, how would a good and just king, he seems pretty fair in his response here to me. I mean, those who are apathetic, the king just let them go their own way and pursue whatever they wanted. He said, that's fine. You diss me, you diss my son, but but he doesn't go kill those people. He just lets them have what they want. He lets them go on their way. But those who are abusive and committed murder, the king does what a just king should do. The death penalty, right? He uses his authority to punish those who abuse and kill. Isn't that what we want from good authority? To punish those who do evil and reward those who do good. That's what Romans 13 says a good king should do. And it's what we long for good authority to do. (laughs) To when something happens that's wrong, they say, this is wrong. (laughs) And there will be consequences for it in my kingdom. It's not mean to do that. It is wise. And it's just. But notice he doesn't just pout and say, okay, there's some bad apples, so now nobody gets to have a party. I always hated that. Teachers, there may be some teachers here. I love y'all. Y'all do a good. But I always hated it like when there were some bad kids. Of course, it wasn't me. It was somebody else. And then the whole class gets punished because of a few kids. I know if you're trying to get them to squeal and talk, you know, maybe you do that. But notice this king doesn't do that. Not only does he punish those who do evil, he's rewarding those who do good. He says, I'm still having a party. 
I still have something to share. I still have something to celebrate. So go invite anyone who will come. A fourth invitation. Verse 10 says the invitation goes out to everyone, even bad people. The bad and the good, not just those who are good looking, not just the rich, not just the well-connected, not just those with the right social standing, right? Bring everybody in, the good and the bad. He's such a gracious king. (laughs) And then there's this weird part at the end. Oh, man, look at it with me. Start in verse 10. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus uses the language that he's used elsewhere of judgment. And some of us hear that and say, well, so much for a good king, right? That's just like the church. If you're not wearing the right clothes, then... We're going to kick you out of here. You're not welcome. You don't belong. Be careful that we're not letting our culture dictate the way that we read the Scripture. Listen, because that's not what is going on here. The original audience would know that if a king invited you and you did not have wedding garments, those garments would be provided. Scholars tell us this is not a person who did not have access to the right kind of garments because if the poor were invited, then the right kind of garments would be provided to the poor by the king. That is not what's going on here. So what is Jesus trying to tell us? It's not about fashion. Notice how the king responds here. I think it shows how glad-hearted and generous and gracious he is. Notice that the king doesn't make a reactive assumption in judgment. Do you see that? He doesn't just automatically go to out of here, right? I mean, it's been kind of a crazy day. People haven't been coming. Maybe they ran out of wedding garments to give to people. And so the king assumes the best friend, right? He calls him friend, It's a word of endearment. So the king assumes the best. I'm assuming you're a friend, not that you're an enemy or you're trying to do something wrong. Friend. And then the king asks a question. So he's not making an assumption. He's assuming the best about somebody. He, He asks a question. How did you get in here without a wedding garment? Did we run out? Maybe the king's at fault. Maybe he's embarrassed that, you know, maybe he's going to say, hey, get this man a garment, right? That's what the father did with the prodigal. That would be consistent with his character. Let me just stop right there. Because some of us are quick to make assumptions. We're, We're quick to react. We're quick to move to judgment. Just assumption, reaction, judgment. That's kind of how we live life. It's the way we react online or on Twitter or on Facebook. And I want you to see here that in the king's house, we are not to react that way. 
If you've been treated that way by a servant of the king, let me apologize and assure you that is not the way our king is and it is not the way he expects his followers to be. And if you are a follower of the king, listen to Can we initially just assume the best? Do we always have to assume the worst right off the bat? Can we assume people are are a friend or or, or think of possibilities that it may not be their fault or it may be something of us? Can we ask some questions before just assumption, reaction, and judgment? I thought about that this week, and I just thought to myself that this is literally my thought after thinking about it, praying about it. Literally what I want to say this for God's sake and I don't say that to take the Lord's amen I mean literally for God's sake please don't do that because we distance people from the kingdom and the king when we react that way and we're not good ambassadors because that's not how the king responds so for God's sake for the sake of God's kingdom please don't respond that way respond like the king shows us. So what's going on? What is it that gets this guy kicked out, right? The king asks him, hey, why don't you have one? And he has no answer. You see, he was offered wedding garments and refused them. What Jesus is saying is this is the person, this guy represents those who think they can show up to the party, but they don't have to do what the king says to do. They don't have to do what the king says just because he's in authority. They don't have to do what everybody else does. This is the person who responds to the invitation of the king, and they show up, but on their own terms. I'll come to the party, but I'm going to wear what I want to wear. They accept what the king offers, but they reject what the king commands. They abuse the grace extended to them, not realizing that the kindness of the king should lead them to repentance. As Jesus talks to a group of religious leaders who are abusing their authority, that's who he's mentioning this parable to, read Matthew 21. They've interrupted his teaching in the temple. And he's saying, you cannot say that you are a follower of God and then live any way you want to. That's what this character represents. Those guys are in trouble with Jesus, right? I'm glad I don't do that. (laughs) I'm glad we don't do that as followers of Jesus. Oh, no. We do that, don't we? Some of us say, man, I love the emphasis on authority and following those who are in charge. I love that because it kind of fits in with my view of the world. Those of us who say that tend to be more on the right. I love that authority. Tell them more about that preacher. Hit them over the head with that black Bible. We love that. But but this stuff about caring for the poor, about widows and orphans and immigrants, I don't follow that as much. I don't really like that part as much. We pick and choose, don't we? And others of us say, I love Jesus' ethic. I love his heart for the disenfranchised. I love his heart for the environment as God's good creation. I love that. But listen, don't tell me what to think about marriage and who that's between. Don't try to impose your sexual ethics on me. 
outdated sexual ethic. We all have a temptation right and left to pick and choose, don't we? But Jesus is saying here that's not how it works with a king. That the king has authority. And we submit to the king. So Jesus teaches us here about God. That he's a king. Is he a good king or a bad king? He's a good king. Who's glad hearted. And generous. And gracious. And patient. And persistent in inviting you to come over and over again. That he's gracious. That he's just punishing those who do evil. Rewarding those who do good. Listen to me. That means you can trust him as the authority in your life. Jesus teaches us about ourselves and our own hearts and our response to a king here too, doesn't he? He says we can dishonor Jesus, the son of the king. We can dishonor him by just not coming to the party at all, right? We can just be apathetic and say we're not interested in Jesus. We really just, it's no offense, Jesus. That's good. If that works for you, that's great. But I just kind of love other things. Jesus says that dishonors the king. He's talking to a group of people who they love God but reject the son. That's who he's talking to here. Of course, Jesus points out some people respond in anger or even abuse and says that God will judge those who abuse his children. But Jesus, in this surprise twist at the end, reminds us that we can also respond to the king's invitation and still dishonor the son, right? Isn't that what he's saying? That we've said, yes, I accept the invitation. I'm here at the Jesus party. But I'm here on my own terms. I'll call the shot my life. I'll pick and choose the parts of the Bible that I will follow. So let's be careful. Let's examine ourselves. Jesus teaches we can't show up on our own terms. None of us can pick and choose which commands of the king we will follow. But, Whosoever will come, whether you've done things that are good or bad, whosoever will honor the king's son, the king will welcome. Not because we are good. It doesn't matter if you are good or bad. If you receive the invitation of the king, you're welcome not because you are worthy, but because the son of the king is worthy. He's worthy of celebrating. He's worthy of honor and blessing and praise because with his blood, he has paid for the bad things, the wrong things, the rebelliousness in my heart. And those who accept him are welcome in the home of the king and at the table of the king. And God will provide all you need to be at that feast. Just trust in him, submit to him. Let's pray and ask him to help us do that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for these stories.
stories that sneak up on us. It's so easy for us to react in our own culture or react to what other people are doing. I pray that you would not allow the evil one to steal this seed from the good soil. That you would drive this seed deep in our hearts and that you would show us ways that we need to approach you rightly. That you would help us to see, maybe for the first time, maybe again for another time, we would see your goodness and your grace and your generosity and your justice and your patience and, and your persistence in inviting people who are good and bad. I pray that you would help us to see our own hearts and you would help us to see our need to you and you would help us to respond to come to you through your son. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. <laughs>